Today on the podcast, Carol Hollowell is here. She is the Executive Director at Switchpoint Community Resource Center. She oversees a homeless shelter, emergency food pantry, thrift store, rapid re- a rehousing program, affordable housing projects, community resource center, and a, a myriad of other programs designed to assist individuals and families who are experiencing homelessness. Um, I will say that Carol is dedicated years of addressing the challenge of those who need a meal and a place to stay, um, and she really gives from the heart. <clears throat> Carol also remains unstoppable in her endeavor towards humanity. Um, Carol, thanks for being with us today and taking some time to kind of share share what you're doing. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Shelley. It's kind of fun. I know pre-show we've been talking about a lot of stuff, so maybe let's start with getting people to, to kind of know you a little bit and and who you are and kind of how you ended up in this place of, I mean, you, you got your hands in a lot of stuff. So let's kind of talk about that first because here's the thing that, that we talk about a lot is I will guarantee, and I'm pretty sure of this, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but you did not dream about working with the homeless population when you were a little girl growing up, right? That was not at the forefront of your mind. Pretty sure you're right on that one. No, never dreamed of it. Um, Didn't even cross my mind until probably uh, 2014. So, no, I've I've always um, been an entrepreneur and... uh, I love small business and uh, doing my own thing, and really, it um, fell in my lap. And I would I would say it was really more of a calling, you know, um, more of a prompting of you know get your ass out of the car and go talk to that guy. Really, and I would say it was it was more of an individual that just really touched my my life, and then I went, oh, I guess I better do that. And so, you know, it, it, it really started with Ray and, um, and then that's really where the name came from is, is the, the moment that my life changed. And, and so, you know, the, the story goes that I was, um, my husband and I, um, were from Oregon and we moved to St. George, Utah in 2009 because we were, uh, in the mortgage business and we were developers and then of course the mortgage meltdown occurred and like many people during that time we lost our shorts and um, went bankrupt and and uh, threw a dart at a map and we just wanted somewhere warm and sunny to start over so we we moved from Oregon to Utah and I I, I got a job working um, as a volunteer director and you know so you, you're ending up um, doing a lot of fun things like you know volunteer events and, and um, the marathon and triathlons and basketball games and, and uh, to a con with musicals. But I also had a lot of court ordered uh, volunteers that were ordered there because they were homeless. And one day I was driving to work and I see this guy in a wheelchair and he's definitely homeless, uh, scraggly and uh, smelly and in the same clothes that he probably had been wearing for years. And I just had this prompting to pull over and talk to him. And of course I tell my staff, don't ever do that. Um, but, but I did it that day. And, and I just, you know, it's raining and it was like five in the morning and I just pull over and I just say, Hey, I'm Carol, where are you going? And he says, I'm, I'm, uh, going to the grocery store to warm up and get my coffee. And I, and I said, let's throw your wheelchair in the back of my truck and, and I'll, I'll give you a ride. And cause he looked harmless. And, and he's, and I said, what's your name? Ray. 
well, Ray, how long have you been homeless here? And where do you live? And he says, I live behind the library and in, in that behind that bush. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And it just, I mean, it just was so like unbelievable. You know, I couldn't believe it. It just was like, I just don't understand how, how is someone homeless in St. George? So as I got to know him over the next, you know, like 30 minutes, cause I just was like, why he had lost his wallet and, um, he had suffered a traumatic brain injury. And because the DMV is 16 miles away with no bus service, he couldn't process the whole problem. And so to him, he felt like my stick that I drew is to be homeless now forever. And so, you know, without ID, you're, you're homeless. And so I thought I can solve this for him. I'm smart and I can figure this out. So I just called the two gals that worked for me and I said, ladies, we're, we're changing gears today and we're going to solve this man's homelessness. And that switch in my brain, you know, of going, Hmm, we can, we can fix this problem. It, it just was like, I got to do this and, and I can change his life. By giving him my time and, and solving his problem, I can change his life. And so I called the city after in seven and a half hours, we got him his ID. I put him into housing. We got him a haircut. We furnished his apartment. We got him food. And Ray was housed for the next five years before he died from a stroke. And the next day I went to the city and I said, um, I need to to do something. I need to open a homeless shelter and I need your help. And that became switch point because the mechanism on a train track to go in a different direction is called a switch point. And for Ray, I was his switch point and he was mine. Oh my goodness. And, and how simple, what a simple, see that, that, that kind of blows me away that somebody who's homeless could be as simple as you just need an ID and a little bit of help and you're set. You'll, you'll be fine. You've got money to support yourself. You right. just don't have the means and don't know how. Right. Right. How many he people? He was incapable. You know, intellectually, he was incapable at that point. Plus, nobody stopped to ask him how they, could they help. They just ignored him. He was invisible. Right? Because we're scared. We're afraid of things we don't yeah. understand. Right. And, and, and the city was like, wow, okay. And I mean, literally within months, we wrote a CDBG grant, a community development block grant, purchased the building, and the city was very, very supportive. And um, bam, I mean, we, we opened Switch Point, and then we just started adding services, and away we went. And, you know, now we're in three counties, and, and um, we've added on multiple, multiple services. And, and so... You know, it's crazy. It really is crazy how that whole thing goes, but it's it's really about looking at individuals' needs and how do we, as capable human beings, we're not smarter than anybody else, but it's truly about stepping outside of our, our own fears, like you were saying, we're scared sometimes, but really just saying, hey, Shelly, how can I really help you today? And listening. If I could really listen to what you're telling me you need instead of me assuming what I think you need because of what I believe you need. I just listened. And all he said was, I, I just needed a walk. I lost my wallet. I need ID. Oh, 
okay. Instead of saying, oh, do you need food? Do you need a coat? People kept giving him coats and food. That's not what he needed. Mm. He needed ID. <laughs> you know, I've heard a number of people say you just need to listen to them. They, they have a story to tell and they know, I mean, they know who they are, right? They know what they really, I think, know what they need and what they want. And some of them, I think, you tell me if I'm wrong, might want to be where they're at. I mean, and some of them feel like they have to be where they're at. Uh, but others, not necessarily, like like Ray. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. That's an incredible story. And 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 I know we talked a little pre-show about where you're at today. And, and I could see some people cleaning windows. And talk a little bit about where you are right now and what's going on in, in your world at this very moment. Yeah, so, um, you know, so I'm sitting in this hotel that uh, we, we uh, purchased in and we are remodeling it to turn into a, um, a senior and, and veteran studio um, living, right? So last, last year, uh, Salt Lake Valley the Homeless Coalition called me and said, will you come up and run our winter overflows? And I said, yeah, okay, sure. So we did, and, and they would clean out the camps where people were, were staying on the streets and bring them to this overflow and we quickly realized that many of them were um, seniors and vets who had money, like Ray. They had money, disability or Social Security. Um, they just have been priced out. And it was so shocking to me. I, I mean, I was just disgusted that we as a, a nation, a community, have let people who had money be priced out. We forced them into homelessness. And so I was like, well, why don't we just buy this then? Because it sure, sure seemed like it was doable. And why don't we just buy this and turn it into studio apartments? So we had to do some renovation and add studios into each one of the bedrooms and hurry and open it back up before winter and let those seniors and veterans come back. And as long as we kept the rent at 450, they could afford it because most of them had Social Security at $872 a month. So they could afford 450. So as long as I didn't have a mortgage on it, then we could do that and still pay utilities, right? Ah. <laughs> so we're supposed to open Monday morning. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we, uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be crazy by the uh, the next forty eight hours. Will be super crazy, but we're we're close. We're super close. Well, that's incredible. And then these people, the the people that you're going to move in, these seniors and and these veterans. Do they have a home there for life? How, what does that look yeah, like? Yep, they'll be here for life. It's not transitional. Um, we will be opened as a extended stay hotel um, for the next uh, couple months while we go through a zoning change. So I applied for a zoning change to allow us to um, become residential and then uh, then it'll be permanent. But so right now it'll be month to month until we get all the way through the zoning change. But you know, when you think about it, my, right now my oldest is 88. Um, and, um, it's just, it was heartbreaking to really have somebody who is, um, you know, 88 and, and they're, they're saying, I've never been homeless, but last year, the apartment that I've been in for the last 15 years sold and they just jacked the rent, you know, to $1,700 and I don't make $1,700. I make 872. So I'm on the street and I'm like, an 88 year old should not be on the street. No, like, like, where's, where's our kids? Where's like, who's helping these people? Well, I mean, you know, some of these, you know, people don't have family left, you know, either they didn't have 
kids or, or their kids um, have passed away or, you know, they just don't have family. Um, and, you know, there's, there's no room at the end, if, if you want to say it that way. Um, there's no senior housing, low-income senior housing. It's full. Um, there's no affordable living. It's all full. So where do you go? Shelters are full. It, where are you going to go? And quite frankly, um, a shelter, a homeless shelter, is not a place for a senior to be, no. right? They're, and so it, we just got to do a better job at keeping deeply affordable living for people who have income. So how right? many how many more seniors and veterans? I know there's lots out there, but how many more seniors and veterans don't have housing still? You know, if I could do a thousand units this year, that's my goal. I would do that right now in Utah. So um, I got to figure out a way to do a thousand units uh, in in twelve more months. You know. So, so. Which, which brings me to another question: Is I imagine a good share of your job is trying to figure out where to get the money. Where do oh, you yeah. get the money to do what you're doing? Yeah, I, I I lay awake all night going, okay, hmm, how do I figure this one out? <laughs> And obviously cities are helping you, grants are helping you, but you've got to have a lot more help than what you're getting to be able to get a thousand, a thousand rooms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I, I I'm going to have to really figure that one out. There, there's gotta be a way. Um, I, I wish, I wish developers could really take a hard look at this and say, um, we, we have to do justice. It's, it's not the fault of um, our seniors that, you know, they're not all wealthy. Right. I mean, they did nothing wrong. And and vets who served our country and, you know, I just, I, I we just have to create something that says it's okay that they can pay 450 And it doesn't have to be subsidized. Why can't there just be things that they can, they're not asking for a lot. But um, I think that there's opportunity. There's, there's a really nice group um, that's been buying up um, hotels and hospitals because there's been so many hospitals going out of business across the country mm -hmm. and doing the same thing, but mostly in the East Coast. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm going to try and figure out how to encourage them to continue, you know, continue their march across and say, really, we've got to figure out a way to make sure that that happens all the way across the nation. That's, in, that's uh, yeah, it's very fascinating to think about the scope. Um, you know, I was reading a few articles about homelessness in Salt Lake, and, and I think I think Salt Lake in Utah, you correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not an expert, take pretty good care of the homeless, which makes this a really attractive place for people who are homeless to come. Is that true? Well, I mean, I would say yes and no. I mean, we have a very large number of homeless, um, and we have extremely high cost of housing. Um, you, you know, Salt Lake, uh, it's not, it's not, uh, cheap living here. And, um, you know, so we've done, you know, we have a very high number of homeless that shouldn't be homeless. So it's, we could get our number if we had affordable housing, Shelly, we could get our number of the people on the streets um, reduced by at least 500 right now if if those that could pay had a place to go. 
And so like right now I'm moving 134 in, you know, Monday, we could do another, if, if we had the housing, I mean, they have money. And, and to me, they shouldn't be in the homeless system if they have money. Right. Well, so if you can purchase a building or, or, you know, there's money and funds to purchase a building like you just did and renovate it and, and you can get funds for that, the residents with what they can pay can sustain, sustain and maintain the building and the yeah. cost of the building as it stands. We just have to find a way to buy those buildings. Is that really what it looks like? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so there's, there's going to be some legislation that is going to be presented um, in this coming year that will create, you know, um, some pots of money to help do just that. So we'll see what happens in 2022. So cross your fingers and, and hope that that gets passed through. Hmm. I think they're going to try and present like a hundred million dollars or so, you know, towards creating some deeply affordable housing. That'd be a big deal. Um, and, and I think it's interesting. I mean, cause there are, I look at these like, um, grocery stores that sit empty for a long, long time. And I'm like, couldn't we, yeah. like, couldn't that be turned into, you know, rooms or like, couldn't we, right. and I don't know yeah. if it's affordable or not, but it seems like it's just sitting empty. Why can't we utilize it for something? Or malls. Yeah. I mean, when I look at all these malls, I'm like, oh my gosh, wouldn't that be the greatest, you know, senior living place ever? They like walking inside malls. Why wouldn't they like walking inside them now? Yeah. Yeah. I like <laughs> your thinking. Well, you've got your hands in so many things, Carol, you know, things that you're doing, and I'm sure you've ramped up to that as you've seen need. Can you talk kind of about some of the different programs that you're doing and, and how that ties into homelessness and the services that you're trying to provide? Yeah, you bet. I mean, one of the big projects that we've got going on right now that um, is halfway through construction is our 24-7 child care center. And that was um, kind of a brainchild built off of discussions with a lot of our families that were at our shelter and, you know, single parents and they're trying to work, but they've got three little kids and they don't have anywhere to send them and there's no affordable childcare that's accessible. And we're like, oh, well, that's a no brainer. So, okay, let's build a 24 seven childcare center. So that's going to open in April. And it's really, you know, the thought process is if, if families have a way to have accessible, affordable, safe childcare, then they can take on any of those great jobs that pay more for the non-traditional work hour. So they are weekends, graves, and um, you know we're talking you know family dollar distribution, Walmart distribution, some of those big factory jobs like Cabela's, um, you know, and and it's they're they're all over. They're all over our state. And so you, you're looking at that opportunity where these families can, you know, drop off the kid, doesn't matter what their shift is, and the kid's in a safe environment where they can sleep there or they can, you know, have tutoring there, and, um, and, and it's affordable. And so we're, we're really excited about that opportunity. And the one in St. George that will be completed in April um, will have uh, the ability to have 275 kids there, you know, throughout that day. And we'll do the same thing in our Tooele campus um, where we'll have another 24-7 uh, child care center on that campus. And anytime we, we go into another area, we're going to do that same thing because it's any family that's in poverty is going to have that same issue. So again, Shelly, we had to listen. We were listening to the clients and the clients are saying, you want me to get a job? Everyone's harping on me and telling me to, you know, pull up my bootstraps. 
but where am I supposed to send my kids? And then you wonder why I'm in poverty or why I'm having a hard time. But I, and then I'm in, in the shelter, but you tell me I can't leave my kid unattended, but I don't have childcare. And then the childcare is costing me more than what I even make at my job. So it's this double-edged sword and, and we're like, we, we hear you. And so if we can solve that issue, um, that's, that's a big win. Uh, the other projects that we had done um, that were, um, you know, kind of a big deal were um, our substance use disorder facility. And, um, you know, Medicaid is a big deal because most of, um, you know, the SUDSIs and, you know, the, the substance use disorder facilities were geared on private pay or private insurance. And they're very, very expensive. And so they were not accessible to people that were homeless. And it was, it's very disheartening to see somebody who suffers and they never get the treatment. So we thought, okay, well, where could we buy one that's cheap? All right, how about Hilldale? Because there's a lot of polygamous houses that are perfect for that. <laughs> <laughs> so we found a 19 bedroom, 14 bath house. Oh that, was, that was a really good price. And so um, that we opened our first one in uh, January of 2020. And, you know, with the nice thing about um, being a licensed homeless shelter is we can verify then that uh, they're uh, eligible for TAM, which stands for Targeted Adult Medicaid. So we are then able to sign those men up and enroll them in and they can get treatment. I can't say that there's been anything more satisfying than to see someone achieve sobriety mm. who's never had the chance before and really get their life back um, and reconnect with family. Um, because sometimes, you know, even just in the year and a half that we've had it open, um, just the success that some of these men um, have had, they've said, no one's ever given me the chance. And you know, that that's to me, that's just really, you, you don't get to take that away, you know? Um, and so those are the gaps that we really have to look at. Um, and, and SwitchPoint's model is, is all about that is, what are the gaps that have been occurring um, within our homeless, you know, population and, and how has it impacted them and how can we overcome that gap, whether it means opening up a new program, opening up a new business and by golly, fixing that barrier. Right. And yeah, it's hard. And yeah, it takes up a lot of time, but it, it, it's really satisfying at the end of the day. Right. And, um, you know, that's why we do what we do. So, I mean, hard, everything's hard. I mean, anything worthwhile is hard. We don't want it to be easier. We'd get bored, but yeah, right. <laughs> how much more worthwhile than to see somebody thrive and succeed? I'm, I'm curious. I think there's, um, I'm wondering if there's a misnomer out there that everybody that's homeless is doing drugs. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I would say it's a huge misnomer. I, I can't think, um, I don't know what the exact, uh, number would be because I think it's different in each um, maybe population that we have because you have a population of families that are in homelessness that's going to be much lower. You have a population of 
chronic homelessness that's much higher. You have a population of, um, you know, elderly where it's very low. So, I mean, it's, it is going to be high in one sector and low in another, right? So, um, we just have to look at the ones that are high. We got to help, you know, um, that, that have high use of substance. We, we got to help them and the ones that are lower, but what, what do we help them with? Right. Maybe it's the connecting to family, right? Maybe they're having a lot of mental health issues. To me, that's my next big thing. I got to really tackle. I think that we have a huge, huge gap in mental health services and mental health housing. Um, and so that's got to be the next big hurdle that we got to tackle as, as an agency. Well, that brings me to my next, my next piece. My next question for you is that, you know, in the industry that we're in, where we're, we're advocating for people that are in treatment, substance abuse and mental health, and more on the commercial side, but we do work with Medicaid and, and, you know, Medicaid has done some great things as it expanded in the state of Utah. And I think Utah's done a fantastic job of increasing the kind of services, um, you know, healthcare services that, that that population, that poverty population has. But the residential reimbursements for Medicaid are really low. Like you, you can't afford to put somebody in a residential treatment center because you'd lose money on it. And so the only way, I think the only way to really do it is to have it funded. It has to be funded some way in order to finance that, even with Medicaid. Yes, it's skinny. It's a very, very skinny um, budget. And um, there's no doubt about it. And so, you know, for us, we just um, don't expect to make any money. We just expect to break even, right? Um, that's why we're called a nonprofit. We don't want to be a, a negative profit, but, um, you know, it's as long as we can break even on it, then we're okay. Yeah. Right. But at $134 a day per person, you're not going to get rich. <laughs> and you're not going to, you're going to get in the poor house we're, unless you can keep you know, that money not, coming you know, in. We're not paying any owners either. Right. I right. mean, that's the whole beauty about a nonprofit is the board of directors get paid zero. And as long as we can pay, you know, the staff, uh, then we're okay. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that, that's the only way you can make it work. And, um, which is why no one else is going to do it. Right. You're just not going to see a for-profit business go run a Medicaid unit. No. Yeah. But on the mental health side, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, you and I both know that if we can't figure out a way to actually get mental health housing going, uh, we're at a crisis. We're at a crisis. We, we are seeing so many, um, of our homeless, uh, never, stabilized because they can't mainstream into other types of housing um, because they continually get kicked out. You know, somebody with um, the schizophrenia, um, you know, and, and they're dual diagnosed or the comorbidities, they, they do not do well with mainstream housing and um, no landlord wants them. And after a couple of evictions, then they're not eligible for any type of housing. And now homeless shelters have become their permanent housing, which is not healthy. And it's not, it's, it's just not a quality of life. Yeah. And so it's just, it's really heartbreaking, um, you know, to me. And I, I wish, you know, it became, there, there's just got to be a way that we can make it a priority to figure out, you know, a, a way that we could 
create mental health housing that is, um, you know, secure and, and happy. And I'm not talking one flew over the cuckoo's nest housing. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm talking about just some real nice residential type housing that's going to be affordable, you know? Because some, some of these, some of these people, I mean, especially someone with schizophrenia, I mean, there's, there's a whole range, you know, there's a spectrum there of severity and, but, but on medication and it's hard because they don't always want to stay on their medication. They're feeling yeah. better and they don't need it anymore. And I don't want to do that. Right. And we know that cycle. Um, but if they had support, if they had that consistency, that stabilization would go up drastically. I mean, I know somebody that suffers with it and they just go, you know, I know I'm going to have a break and I'm going to go to the hospital and let them take care of me for a few days and then I'm going to go back to work, right? Yeah. And, and they can learn if they, have the, they, if they have the right support system, they can learn how to manage those symptoms and regulate them to where they can be stable, but it takes a long time for them to learn that. Right. Yeah, and, that, and that's the hardest part is while they go through that struggle, and if they're homeless, um, they see a lot more incarceration or, um, you know, just law enforcement interaction, which isn't how it's not helpful for them, right? Because then they usually lose their job and their family ties in between all that. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate, but but there, I mean, we can do things. We help people all the time, and people who have resources and money have better access, we need the same access for everybody, which is what I think I hear you saying as well. Yeah, yep, exactly. So what's, you know, what is someone like me or someone like, you know, that's listening, what can they do to make a difference? Because so many, so many of us are, you know, we, we find all the excuses of, of what we can't do. Like you said, it's not safe to stop and pick somebody up on the side of the road. That's probably not a good idea, especially for a woman, right? You, you might run a few risks there, but what is safe to do and, and what is something that can be done? Well, you can always, you know, go to switchpointcrc.org and donate to me, but <laughs> um, that's always a good thing. But I, I think it's really important um, to, to volunteer. I mean, if we don't see what's in our community and, and we don't step outside of our box, um, I, I think that's for me, you know, that finding, be, becoming somebody else's switch point. I, I really think that, you know, we all have to be involved in our community. Um, no matter where you live, we all should be involved um, to some extent um, with people that live among us. And so I really encourage people to volunteer somewhere, anywhere. And, and really get outside of your stinking comfort zone and stretch a little bit, right? And you'll really start to um, see beyond uh, yourself, number one. And number two, um, you realize that you have something to give to other people and it feels good, right? It really feels good when you go, hey, I really helped somebody else out. And I, I think that that's important for all of us. You know, service is good. Yeah. And, and it makes it enriches our communities that we live in. So I guess that's my number one plug for the day is, you know, get out there and serve somebody. And there's all kinds of ways to do that. But, you know, especially when you can help, you know, it, it helps nonprofits, you know, like ours, um, get a lot more things done. I mean, it's, it's free payroll. Number one, we need you. We need volunteers to help us, um, accomplish missions. We can't, we can't do it all by ourselves. We need people that have talents and, and, you know, 
it's we we try and do the best we can but we we need people yeah well and people are what makes it work and and the more people the quicker the faster and the less cost of of doing it so numbers are very powerful that's right that's Mm -hmm. right i like it I like it. I think it's important. And, and if people want to get connected with you and with your organizations and some of your programs, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I'd say reach out to our website. Um, again, that's switchpointcrc.org. Um, there's lots of good tabs uh, to click on. There, we've got super stories um, that share, you know, all kinds of different things that they can, you know, look at and uh, see what areas they like to volunteer on or um, just to really see what areas that we focus on, um, where we're at now and what we're doing, uh, what kind of areas that we're into now. But uh, yeah, that's probably the best way to, to reach out to us. Very cool. Well, reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, all those things. All of that stuff. I don't know how to use all of that stuff, but, but, but you can certainly just one of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I just, I'm fascinated with what you do. I've seen, you know, and heard about you guys and heard about some of the growth that you're doing. And I see you spreading throughout, throughout our, our state and making a big difference. And I can tell that you're connecting with people nationally. And so, um, just, just my hats off to you for all that you've done and, and just keep doing right. Cause you haven't, yeah. you didn't give up with Ray, right? You just kept going. Cause how do you stop helping people? Yeah, I can't stop now. <laughs> and, it, and it's impressive. So I appreciate you. I know you're in the middle of a project. And so let's, um, we'll, we'll, we'll end this. But uh, just thanks for sharing your time with us and, and certainly for your dedication and love of, of people that need something. Thanks for having me, Shelly. It was great.